Hey, this is Ben. Welcome to uh, Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. Hey, hey, hey wait a minute. What, 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 what's going on here? Who said that? I see you've taken over my body. We meet again, Jimmy. Ben. Wait. You didn't take over my body? No, it definitely feels like my body, like I'm a little bloated. This isn't my body. I don't know how we got a tail, but I was not- Wait, is this a third body? Is this a- are we in your dog? <sighs> Machine. I've not been calibrated. Look, I'm telling you, you, you gotta- You really gotta keep good control over these mind-switching machines. Yeah, I guess. I mean... I was just kind of being lazy. Understandable. Well, all right, I guess both of our consciousnesses are trapped in this body. Uh, what do we do now? Uh, I guess we'll talk about people that have been stuck in other people's bodies too, maybe? Oh, no, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, um, Peter Parker was trapped in his his own body, but, but Dr. Octopus had control of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good story. Uh, That's what we're here to talk about. Okay, okay. For now, do uh, I take over the body completely? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I could still take over the body. It really just depends on how many memories we can get. Like, whoever has the most memories owns the body. I think that's the ultimate lesson we learn from the story, as we'll see. Okay, yeah. 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 So, so if I can get all of the memories, then, then I will have control. If you can get all of them, you will. Cool. So, let the best... Brain. Big, big brain. Big brain best is win. Let's the best big brain brain best. Best brains. Big brain big best. Brain. Man, uh, it's always something with recording this podcast. That was James White. He's pretty funny when he's not doing brain shit. You can find him on Twitch under the handle Broken Hero Parts. All right, we have an awesome show for you. So without further delay, let's talk Spider-Man. What's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider, that's it? That's the best you got? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. The Son of Three Thousand Dollars. Spider-Man debuts in 1962, but let's rewind a bit further, eight years, to 1954. Frederick Wortham publishes Seduction of the Innocent. In the book, the psychologist makes the argument that comic books are corrupting the youth, turning them to crime. He came to this conclusion by asking boys in a juvenile detention center whether they read comics. They all said yes. The thing is, had Wortham gone to a Sunday school class or a Boy Scout summer camp, the results may have been the same. Most boys read comics at the time. Despite Wortham's methods, the book gained traction, spurring a congressional hearing that ultimately resulted in the Comic Code Authority. If you've bought, read, or looked at comics before 2011, you know the CCA. It's that ugly black and white badge in the top right corner that tells a parent buying the issue for their kid, or a 34-year-old man buying it for themselves, that everything is above board. The CCA rules banned the excessive violence, gore, sex, nudity, and profanity that could be found in many comics of the time. It also established a rigid, simplistic hierarchy of ethics that the medium would henceforth need to follow. Policemen and judges must always be respected and presented in a good light. Crime could only be portrayed if the criminals were punished for their misdeeds. Good must always triumph over evil. Some of the other rules were more arbitrary. No vampires, werewolves, ghouls, or walking dead, and horror or terror could not be in a comic's title. This standard ran popular horror publisher EC Comics out of business, and sent other companies scrambling to change their business models. Superhero books, or cape comics, had largely been in a slump in the post-war era, but with horror and gritty crime books off the market, the genre began to see a major revival. As DC Comics revitalized their superhero lineup from the mid-50s into the beginnings of the 60s, Marvel Comics decided to offer some healthy competition. Writer-editor Stan Lee partnered with a team of revolutionary artists to distinguish their heroes from the competition by breaking conventions in interesting ways. In the case of what would become Marvel's most popular character, the concept was simple. A teenage superhero with weird, almost creepy, spider powers. Steve Ditko gave the character an iconic look that stood the test of time and managed to draw the character as equal parts relatable, awkward, and formidable, with a healthy bit of strangeness. Lee and Ditko's creation took the world by storm in August of 62, on the pages of Amazing Fantasy, number 15, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. On the first page, we're introduced to Peter Parker through the words of his peers. He's a bookworm, a professional wallflower, a terrible dancer. And he's also standing right there, listening. 
Luckily, Peter has his loving Uncle Ben and Aunt May at home, two white-haired elders who live and breathe for their nephew. Uncle Ben likes to tell Aunt May to stop feeding Peter so many wheat cakes, or he won't be able to out-wrestle him anymore. But, like, wheat cakes are Peter's favorite, so Aunt May keeps feeding him. Boy, if anything happens to this wholesome family unit, I'll be really upset. Peter asks a girl named Sally out on a date to an exhibit at the science hall, but she laughs at him and goes off with cool guy Flash Thompson. Peter decides that he'll show them one day, and they'll be sorry, and goes to the exhibit himself. There's no way Sally or Peter could know that this exhibit on radioactivity experimentation would change the course of their lives. Just kidding, I I don't know if it matters to Sally, but it does to Peter, as no one notices a spider dropping down from the ceiling on a strand of web, directly into the radioactivity. Dying and in shock, the spider lashes out at a nearby body and bites Peter on the hand. He immediately feels strange as energy rips through his body. Distracted by the changes inside him, Peter is nearly ran over by a car, but enhanced reflexes kick in and he dodges by leaping to great heights. More than this, he's attached himself to a nearby building, his hands and feet now capable of sticking to any surface. He climbs up to the roof of the building in mere seconds and finds he can crush a steel pipe with his bare hands. Peter wonders aloud what to do with the amazing powers fate has granted him. He settles on winning cash prizes from wrestling exhibitions. He whips himself up a makeshift mask and a costume, and enters the ring with Crusher Hogan. If Peter can last three minutes, he'll get $100. Peter does more than that, and scares the wrestler into quitting. After this impressive performance, Parker scores himself a big-shot TV producer, who promises to put him on the Ed Sullivan Show. To prepare, Peter sews himself a fresh costume. You know the one, with the red and blue and the webs and the big eye silhouettes. Not only is Parker good with a sewing machine, he's also a whiz with the chemistry set, and he whips up webbing devices to wear on his wrists. With his new duds and tricks, Spider-Man becomes an overnight television sensation. One night, after a successful show, Peter discovers a police officer chasing a man. The officer asks Spider-Man to stop the thief from getting to the elevator, but Peter does nothing. The law enforcer chews Spider-Man out, but Peter isn't phased. Remember that part about how the police must always be represented as good under the Comics Code Authority? Yeah, so our buddy Spidey is definitely in the wrong here. That's confirmed when Peter later monologues about how he'll take care of his aunt and uncle, since they've been kind to him, but as far as the rest of the world? Fuck him. Spider-Man's fame continues to rise and rise until one day, upon returning home, he sees a police car parked out front. Panicked, he rushes to the door, and an officer informs him that his uncle has been shot and murdered by a burglar. As Spider-Man... Peter tracks the offending criminal to Acme Warehouses, where he confronts and knocks out the murderer, only to find it is the same man he'd let escape on the elevator. After delivering the criminal to the police, all wrapped up in webbing, Peter reflects on the cruel twist of fate that stole his uncle's life. If only he could have stopped the man when he had the chance. If only... Peter Parker realizes at last, as the narration tells us, that with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Ben. How are you doing, man? Uh, I've been better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly in control. Uh, neither of us are in control of our bodies, but we've managed to hang out in this weird kind of interstitial uh, consciousness that we found. So, you know, got to look on the bright side. Yeah, yeah. We're not dead, so that's the bright side. Yeah. Do you like Spider-Man? I mean, who doesn't like Spider-Man? Dr. Octopus hates Spider-Man. We'll get to that later. Let's see. Flash Thompson. Actually, he loves Spider-Man. He hates Peter Parker. James Jameson hates Spider-Man? Yeah. J. Joe to Jameson. Definitely. Not a fan of Spider-Man. I mean, I guess all of his rogues gallery hate him. Um, not a big uh, not not a big guy in the wrestling community either. Kind of kind of made a fool out of uh, Crusher Hogan. Yeah, well, I guess in the beginning he was kind of like the, the, the big daddy of the ring after he got that contract and started like touring the state, it seemed like. Yeah, that was pretty wild. I um had not realized that he was like this celebrity before he became a superhero. So did we just figure out that like we're the minority for liking Spider-Man? Probably. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, I, th- I think outside of the Marvel Universe, a lot of people like Spider-Man, but in his own universe, uh, not many. It makes sense. It yeah, he's kind of obnoxious, I feel like. He was compensating by being overtly and obnoxiously friendly. Right, yeah. definitely. Yeah. What did you think of his first appearance? It was fun, but it was a busy comic. There was a lot going on, and there was a lot crammed into this issue. And uh, I don't know, like, I, there's a lot of headcanon that I have that I can't really separate from the first appearance of Spider-Man. Like, he's one of the most famous, relatable characters, especially for our generation, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So, like, to go back and see him crammed into, like, 12 pages of an issue, and it, it, it's it's really fun to see where it started and, where, like, what people borrowed from this, and I think made it better. 
but I think for the time it was probably really, really cool. It seems less cool than the coolness that I've I've known. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. And definitely with the whole what you're saying about like kind of what we understand as Spider-Man, like every panel, um, Uncle Ben appears in this comic. I, I was just waiting for him to say, like, with great power comes great responsibility. But he, he, he never says it. That's funny. Comic. I didn't even notice that. I think I, I just it's superimposed that, that in the book. So the narration says it at the end. Right. But Uncle Ben never says that. He just kind of talks about how he wrestles him and, and stuff. Yeah. You know, I guess they made him more important later in his origin story right you know like they, they, they build him up his connection free him being murdered by the mugger that peter let slip by so yeah right yeah i mean and that's still the central reason that peter learns his lesson and becomes you know the responsible spider-man that we understand him as now but like it's not like he's not as much of a mentor in this it's more he's more of a vehicle for him to learn a lesson it's since i didn't stop this dude now my uncle is dead so i gotta be more responsible he kind of learns the lesson himself instead of like being taught it and Peter is a little more smug off the start in this one, right? Like, yeah. I felt like after he got the power, he became like a little overconfident and too good. But in this one, he's just like, I'll show all these studs and like, yeah, it's one day I'll Yeah, it's kind of just like a Revenge of the Nerds kind of thing yeah. where like he's just like everybody picks on him, everybody hates him, and he's just like, you know what? Now it's my time. My aunt and uncle, you guys are cool. Everyone else, F you. Yeah. <laughs> You guys can ride this wrestling money all the way to the bank. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how. I, I guess I don't think Stan Lee and uh, Steve Dicko really understood what wrestling was, unless wrestling was different back then. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice that the, the the corner of the wrestling ring goes all the way to the ceiling. The posts just go into infinity. It looks like. Oh yeah, that is wild. I didn't even notice that. But then again, I can't speak for wrestling back in the. 50s or 60s whenever this came out yeah how would you like do any moves like off of the the, the post well I, I personally know a little bit about wrestling and if you go back into the 80s they didn't really do moves off the post it was oh, just okay. big old beef boys picking each other up and putting them down hard wow yeah i mean as far as origin stories i mean this is so iconic i would say that arguably the only two appearances more famous than this one would be like superman and batman yeah. And their first appearances are kind of a lot of uh, a lot of Superman's story comes out of his first appearance. Yeah. As far as like his planet blowing up and stuff like that, but that's basically it. Spider-Man's origin as far as like learning a lesson about responsibility, that has really stuck in in been a defining part of his character throughout all of his like, appearances. Yeah, he he learns his lesson after he's got his powers. Yeah. Not before, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, so that's like an interesting take. An orphan that's not superhero yet. Yep. And then he's, like, halfway orphaned after he's already a superhero and learns to become a better guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were, they were kind of like, having your parents die isn't enough to be a superhero. You also have to have your uncle die. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then you have enough motivation. And it's got to be your fault. It can't be right. somebody. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and the whole thing, I mean... We can talk about this throughout the episode, but it, it is really interesting. I, I don't know if they would make the same choices. If someone were to write an origin story now, as far as what specifically Peter has to stop and doesn't stop, because yeah. it's just this do thing that he's not really involved in at all. And you, to me, it's almost like you can't really fault him for it, but kind of in an internal story logic he faults himself for it, and the reader definitely faults him for it, and understands why that like teaches him a lesson about responsibility. I kind of like it more than the opposite, which would be just that he's Captain America, just always does the right thing because he's just too good. Right. Like I like that he's he's got a responsibility, and it's a, it's like a burden half the time, and he it's not the easiest, but he does it because he's he's looking out for other people, not just because he's got this sense of duty that's unbreakable, indomitable. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like that, um, you know, and you see this with a lot of, like, superheroes' first appearances. They're, they're really taking advantage of their superpowers and the fact that they're not really fighting anything, like, sensational. You know, in this one, he just fights. He becomes a superstar wrestler, and then he, he, he beats up the, the burglar who killed his uncle. And yeah. um, there's nothing really necessary to challenge, necessarily there to challenge his, his abilities, yet he's just kind of, like, learning lessons and kind of, you know, learning the ropes of, of, of what he can do. It's also interesting to see the introduction of characters back in the day when they're all in these catalogs of short stories. So mm -hmm. it just feels like very abbreviated and sudden that he's a superhero and his, his narrative is already introduced in this like really quick way. He's not surrounded by anyone else that we know. Like He's not introduced in another person's story. It's just like this little capsule of 12 or 13 pages and suddenly you have a whole universe of 
Spider-Man in your brain that, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you look back on. So it's cool to see that. Just pop, you got a character, and see if it sticks and see if it doesn't. Yep. Yeah. We all know how sticky Spider-Man is, so he stuck around. Sure did. Yeah. He was, like, a celebrity, too. That's kind of interesting to talk about. That's really cool. It's like, I feel like that's kind of completely forgotten from, like, about the Spider-Man mythos. And, and, but, like, if you, if you do kind of remember it, it makes more sense that people like J. Jonah Jameson later on would call him, like, a menace and don't trust him. The fact that he was, like, the celebrity first before he became a superhero. Because it's like, why would you trust that? Like, is he... You know, is he actually just doing this all for the glory of doing it and not actually out there to, like, save people and help people? I mean, that's a current thing, too, is, like, is there an agenda? Like, are you working with Big Brother kind of thing? Yeah, Yeah. it makes sense. But, yeah, like, in this panel, he's literally on TV like a circus, just making money. Yep. Showing off all his skills. Right. It's a comment. Like, if I had to summarize it in a few sentences, it would just be, check out this loser Peter Parker. Wait, he's got spider powers. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. wait, he's on TV. <laughs> yeah, he's on TV. <laughs> um, uh, oh, no, there's a robber. Is he going to stop it? No. Uncle Ben's dead. <laughs> it's like, shit, I should have stopped that robber. I guess I will be a superhero now. Yeah, like almost every page could be covered in an issue of like background, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually, I don't know if you ever read uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Yes, I did. Yeah, when that come out. And that that is what like uh, Bendis did, Bendis and Bagley. They they like pretty much took this whole like amazing fantasy issue and like made it like I think like a six or six issue or maybe longer arc. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, back then they just kind of wanted to give you a quick story, really condensed story, like and pack a lot in there. And uh yeah, that's what they did. They probably weren't even sure if it was going to be like in the next issue so they're like we got to give him a complete story we can't give him like a, a what if and then it not be popular and never come back to it so yeah which makes you think like if you skip to the end of this book there's five or six extra stories that could have been superheroes or yeah there's like a story about the mummy yeah which was pretty wild there's a story about martians and a lot of ads to get big old buff boy. There are a remarkable amount of ads just dedicated to telling boys that they need to be more buff yeah and they want you to cut out so many pages of your book for coupons and mail-in orders, and it was wild. 100%. The advertisements kind of do fit with the theme of the story, too, because Peter yeah. Parker's this, like, nerd who becomes, like, has all these superpowers, and it's like all these ads are telling like, kids that say, hey, you can mail in and get this, and, you know, you won't be skinny anymore. You'll have all these muscles. And then in all the ads, they're carrying women off into the sunset. <laughs> like, right. In <laughs> the skimpiest little underwear. Like, I'm yeah. talking about the bodybuilders, not the women. Like, Definitely a lot of wish fulfillment in both the story and um, the advertisements. <laughs> Prime, you can't die. Do not grieve. Soon I shall be one with the Matrix. Prime. All right, let's travel 50 years in the future to 2012. Superheroes remain the dominant force in comic books, even though the influence of the Comics Code Authority has waned dramatically. Marvel Comics abandoned the code in 2001, with other publishers eventually following suit by the start of 2011. In the Marvel Universe, Peter Parker has grown up. Ever since that fateful night when his uncle was murdered, Peter has encountered countless foes with powers that rival his own, but without the responsibility to match. He's defeated them all even when the odds are stacked against him, even when his personal and romantic life suffer, even when he needs to divide his attention between the greater good and his sickly Aunt May. Few opponents have been as dangerous as Otto Octavius, known by the moniker Dr. Octopus. Otto is a scientific genius and criminal mastermind fused to four deadly metal tentacles. Peter has graduated high school, gone to college, and is now gainfully employed as a research scientist for Horizon Labs, while Peter has mostly kept a lid on his secret identity after years of selling pictures of his alter ego at the Daily Bugle, people generally think the two know each other. Peter himself admits to building tech for the hero. He also got married to the love of his life, Mary Jane, but then got unmarried. Not divorced, but like, he made a deal with a devil-like guy to save his Aunt May's life for the price of his and his wife's happiness and memory of ever being together. You know? Uh, they date off and on again, and MJ knows Peter is Spider-Man. Speaking of marriage, Aunt May is married to the father of J. Jonah Jameson. Jonah, currently the mayor of New York City, was once the editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle, and for years the most outspoken critic of Spider-Man. Holiday dinners are fun. 
Oh yeah, Spider-Man joined the Avengers too. On a night out on a date with Mary Jane, Peter responds to a priority call from the Avengers. His nemesis, Dr. Octopus, is on death's door. The villain suffers from late-stage brain cancer, developed after years of taking hits from a guy with the proportional strength of a spider. The name Peter Parker escapes the doctor's lips, and the Avengers assume the villain wants to speak to his enemy one last time. Peter walks in alone to speak with the doctor, but things aren't what they seem to be. Dr. Otto Octavius wasn't requesting Peter Parker. He was saying that he is Peter Parker, trapped in this dying body. Indeed, Dr. Octopus in Peter's body, confirms. Before his death, Otto has managed to pull off his most ambitious and spiteful plan of all. He's programmed an octopus robot to sneak in and overwrite the consciousness of Peter Parker with his own, while transferring Peter's consciousness to his dying body. Essentially, Dr. Octopus has traded minds with Peter. These are the dire circumstances our hero finds himself in as we enter The Amazing Spider-Man, number 700. Writer, Dan Slott. Pencils, Humberto Ramos. Inks, Victor Alazaba. Colors, Edgar Delgado. Letters, VCs Chris Eliopoulos. Octopeter is laying the moves on Mary Jane Watson, using Parker's memories to woo her, but lovemaking is interrupted by a combination of Otto's temper and news about Dr. Octopus. The villain has escaped prison and is on the run. Otto is perplexed at how Peter could accomplish this in that crippled, sickly body. What he doesn't realize is that Peter has accessed Otto's memories and activated one of the villain's escape plans by hiring the help of fellow rogues Scorpion, Hydra-Man, and Trapster. But the body isn't in great shape, and Peter finds himself going in and out. His life flashes in front of his eyes, and he finds himself walking in the neighborhood of Queens where he grew up, with people he's known that have passed on all around him. Captain Stacy, Gwen Stacy, his mom and dad, and of course, Uncle Ben, who tells him he can't stay here. Peter isn't happy about this. He says, What? I don't get to. After all, I've... It's that one mistake, isn't it? When I let you down. But I've tried, Uncle Ben. I've tried so hard. But Uncle Ben tells his nephew he misunderstands. He's earned his rest, but he can't let a man like Otto Octavius free with Spider-Man's powers, or with Peter's life. He says, Now listen. There are no scales you have to balance. Not in my eyes. When this is over... Then you can rest. Someone else can be Spider-Man. It's okay. Until then, you have one last thing to do. You need to get up and fight one more time. Come on, Peter. Get up. Peter does get up, forcing Doc Ock's body to keep moving out of sheer force of will. He leads his ragtag group of villains, breaking into a police station's evidence locker to secure the gold Octobot Otto used to pull off the brain heist. He brings the bot back to Dr. Octopus's lab to analyze it. But since Dr. Octopus knows Peter is in his body, he knows that Peter is at the lab, and sends the police. Peter as Ock tells his cronies not to harm any of the police, which the supervillains find really weird, and they manage to escape the assault force. Otto has rounded up all of Peter's loved ones as Spider-Man, under the guise of keeping them safe from Dr. Octopus. Mary Jane gives Spidey a pep talk, which Otto finds annoying, but then MJ tells him she'll always love him, which Octavius finds less annoying, so he kisses her. Peter heads to Avengers Tower with the gold Octobot, hoping they can help him. Otto is one step ahead, however, and has drawn the Avengers away by activating his hidden stash of giant Octobots all around the world. Scorpion, Hydra-Man, and Trapster attempt to take down Spider-Man at Peter's command, but Octo-Spidey uses his Avengers credentials to activate Avengers Tower security against them. He then reveals that all of Peter's loved ones are here, in Avengers Tower, including J. Jonah Jameson and leverages Scorpion's longtime grudge against Triple J to send the villain looking for him. Spidey leaps off after, leaving Peter behind so the traps will kill him. Otto uses his body's radioactive strength to its maximum potential in a single punch, and takes Scorpion's jaw clean off his head before he can reach Jameson. The doctor realizes Parker must have been holding back all these years. He doesn't have much time to contemplate this as metal tentacles grapple him from behind. Octo-Spidey tries to distract Peter Puss by firing impact webbing at his friends in the tower, but this serves to further embolden Peter, and he decides to take Octopus out by any means necessary, including sending them both through the windows, careening down several stories towards the street. Spider-Man prevents his death by webbing up an airbag to stop the fall. Peter releases the gold Octobot to reverse the brain scan, but the robot finds resistance at the back of Spidey's skull. Otto isn't just wearing the normal Spider-Man mask, but he's protected himself with carbonadium plating. At long last, Otto Octavius is victorious. Spider-Man strikes Dr. Octopus's feeble body, and as he is about to deliver the killing blow, 
Peter begins to hallucinate, imagining Uncle Ben waking him up from school. The thing is, Octavius begins to see the same thing, in tandem. The gold Octobot may not have made a direct connection, but Peter has managed to establish a partial link. With his last moments, Peter forces Otto to relive all of his memories and the emotions connected to them. Aunt May serving him wheat cakes, the radioactive spider biting him on the hand, and most importantly, the revelation that the burglar he'd let go was the same man who murdered his Uncle Ben. You wanted to be Spider-Man, Peter says through Otto's dying breaths. Well, guess what? It's more than the powers. Otto experiences all of Peter's losses, understands the burden of protecting lives, and he's overwhelmed. How can you do this? He asks. Peter answers. Because you have to. Because with great power, Otto finishes, must come great responsibility. And he holds his frail former body in Spider-Man's arms. Peter asks to see his loved ones, who are watching the fight from the sidelines, and Otto tilts his head so he can do so. Promise me you'll keep them safe. I promise. Hmm. That's all I ever. Two dashes and a small rough circular dot signify the passing on of a character who people have read as Spider-Man for more than 700 issues over 50 years. But there's a new Spider-Man now, and according to Otto Octavius, a superior one. Picture yourself, right? You're a Spider-Man fan. Issue number 700 of Spider-Man. You're psyched, right? It's a cool cover with all the different collage of different Spider-Mans and some Venom and like other comics. Do you think you would have any kind of conception that this issue would end the way it did? I have some weird memories. I think that they're not mine. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I forget the context. This wasn't a story arc that was known before it came out, right? It wasn't like building up for Peter Parker's death. It, it built up for about... So, so in some ways, it built up from the fact of, like, Dr. Octopus was dying. Yeah. Like, that was a very long-running um, story arc. And But be, as far as, like, him switching minds with Peter Parker, that, that had only happened, like, two issues before this. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't billed as the death of Superman kind of thing. No. No, it was just, for, for me, going into this at the time, I, so I, I read it after the fact, and I, I found out what happened. But like, yeah. if I were to go into this issue, I would have assumed that Peter's going to get his body back at the end of the issue. It's yeah. going to be like a cool story of him fighting his nemesis, Dr. Octopus, but ultimately he's going to get his body back at the end of the story. But, but yeah. uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, he definitely didn't. <laughs> it starts off really cool. It starts off in a way that you can tell it's clearly Doc Ock, and he's completely in control. And then as you, like, go through every page, there's, like, a little blip of Peter that pumps through, like, mm-hmm. and slowly plays through. And it, it kind of has this idea that I had of not only is Peter Parker, like, super strong, super agile, like, spider senses and all, his whole kit of skills is that he has a super persona to him, too. Like, his his personality is almost like this. It, it affects you and changes you. Like, his, his allies seem to be more motivated, and, like, he brings up the spirits of his comrades. I don't want to say, like a leader but like a super motivator just by being so positive and happy and zippy all the time mm-hmm. and I, I feel like the movies did a really good job of portraying that like peter brought an energy to a team that like made them better and more energetic and, and like a, a, a subtle way but yeah mm-hmm. one of those unspoken powers that are kind of just built into a character but are never mentioned yeah because he's a friendly neighborhood spider-man and it's just like that is part of his his superhero persona is that like he he wants to get the you know the average joe kind of on his side as he's doing like all his you know super hearing this version of spider-man is not that at all he's not your friendly you know oh, uh, like um neighborhood spider-man he's like just this like kind of calculating individual who who is kind of working yeah he, he's a, a completely different person it but with the same superpowers and same kind of like outward projection. I do appreciate that uh, Doc Ock, who is a super genius, part of his his power is that he like was so well prepared that he could figure out Peter's plan and proactively prevent it in the future before it happened. I appreciate that they finally addressed like the elephant in the room of there are people that don't have any superpowers that fight superheroes and just getting gently slapped by one of them is still getting hit by like a baseball bat. You know what I mean? Right. Because Dr. Octopus, I mean, he's got the arms that can do all these amazing things and can really pose, like, a threat to um, to Spider-Man, but he's kind of a glass cannon in that way where the rest of his body is just, like, he's just a dude, you know? So if he gets hit, he's that's going to have lasting damage. And they, they kind of, like, subtly drop the idea that he... 
Well, I, it's another thing. Like I said, with Peter has like a super personality. I kind of feel like Doc Ock is a super genius, but I also think that affects his brain differently. That he has like super like a brain that can resist damage and trauma because his body was completely crippled, his organs were failing, but he was still mentally there. So that like his brain has some sort of protection through either telepathy or just being so incredibly smart that it like regenerates or does something that keeps him alive and coherent through all those obvious concussions and mm. blunt force face trauma <laughs> yeah it's like his actual tentacles aren't his powers right it's his actual mind that is, is his like power because like he can he can use it to like wield them wield these arms and take control of them but also his mind is formidable where yeah like he can actually like overwrite somebody else's body yeah. or maintain his consciousness throughout all this sickness and in different injuries and stuff yeah i yeah. think that's pretty cool too it was more it's the most resilient part of his body was his brain which is the weakest on most people right like you yeah know, you get a concussion and your brain's completely damaged but I can, you get punch in the stomach you're fine yeah 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 as far as a, a superhero and supervillain story I, I really thought this was a pretty well done one like dr octopus is just a real threat to spider-man in a way that like you, you can't really think of many other supervillains that have have done what he's done he's not just like defeating him but he's like saying hey i'm gonna take over your body and I'm going to do this better than you. And like he, you know, we'll get into it, but whether he succeeds in that or not, he he, he definitely approaches that, you know, like it, he's in the running for being like a good Spider-Man, you know, so yeah. it, 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 it's pretty interesting. It also kind of has this weird parallel to in the beginning, Peter let a villain go and it killed his uncle. Mm -hmm. And then again, he, 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 could, he clearly could have killed Doc Ock and stopped him permanently, mm -hmm. but he let a villain go and then he ended up dying quotation marks right because of that so like in a way his arrogance of him being too good to stop a villain like it was beneath him when he was just became spider-man caused all this trouble that and again being too good and not properly stopping a villain has caused trauma and issues that you can't stop like it's kind of a trophy like batman doesn't kill villains and yeah they always get back at him and do more damage later yeah, and I think that and it really doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of cases, and it's almost like a compulsion, right? And it's like it's he's a superhero, and he should always be doing the right thing, the good thing, etc. But like looked at in a certain lens, it's like almost just like a compulsion. It's sure you shouldn't just be going around like murdering people when they're doing crimes, but at the same time, do you have to go out of your way and like risk your life to save a villain who's then going to go off and like, kill a bunch of innocent people? So it's almost like a c compulsion. Like what is great power equals great responsibility really have to mean does it have to does it have to take on the interpretation that spider-man takes it or is that just more of a almost like uh just kind of like a tick to his like personality that like he needs to kind of like analyze and think about it you know it makes you kind of think and question things about um about the character definitely yeah they actually i mean uncle ben addresses it in the, the comic too he says like if you let a man die even a sworn enemy you wouldn't be spider-man so like i mm -hmm. think you're saying like it's built into his personality right and like he, he can't go beyond those those borders of what makes him spider-man right that's 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 kind of built into his his um moral compass that's built into his kind of ethos it's just that's the line he's not going to cross is to him he, he's not responsibility isn't him i'm choosing who lives or dies it's him using his powers to help people you know and and he interprets that to mean just you know helping whoever's in front of him he can't, he's not out there to judge, you know, whether someone deserves to live or die. If, if there's someone in front of him that he can save, he, he does it. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what the character is all about. But, and, and obviously Dr. Octopus is, is definitely like a foil to that in, in a really, uh, in a real sense. At the end of this issue, he does understand, he has the memory of, of uh, Uncle Ben dying and he understands that concept of great power equals great responsibility but he's going to end up interpreting that in a, in a much different way he'll still accept that he has a responsibility to use his powers for good but what he interprets as being the greater good is much different than what peter parker interprets as the greater good i oh, think yeah. that i think that's the really cool part about this kind of about this story i really like that this is an interesting way to address like power creep in a, in a character that instead of just saying throughout issues Peter suddenly picks up stronger things and they just have to retcon it later or just throw it into the story and give it some sort of throwaway line about how he's become stronger that like by putting Doc Ock in his consciousness and giving him the tools of Spider-Man, he uses them in a different way to find new benefits or, or, or new strengths and use them in unique ways. It, particularly like he, he makes the little 
trash pad and falls into it and you can, Peter's like why did I never think of that mm-hmm. I've been Spider-Man for years and I'm a genius also but right yeah, yeah and it's and it's a really a big challenge for Peter uh, you know because like as he's in as he's in Dr. Octopus's body he's just you know doing everything he can you know his consciousness is in that body and he's doing everything he can to, to try to survive and he's making some choices that like he would rather not make he, he's doing everything he can to protect everyone while he's trying to get his body back but you know he's putting some innocence, you know, not necessarily in a lot of risk, but some risk where, you know, somebody could get hurt. Yeah. You no, know, he's he's not happy about it. So it's just kind of like is is um Peter's morals is is what if placed in a different context, would he hold them? So it's kind of um it's like a challenge to his very like being as well as like to his, you know, to his life. And it's interesting like Doc Ock has access to Peter's memories, but not so much Peter into Doc Ock's like when he's in his body he can't recall his plan or the steps mm-hmm. that he's put in order to, to stop Peter from successfully getting back into his body, which was cool, which kind of, like, pushes back towards the idea that Doc Ock's brain is just beyond super. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When uh, Doc Ock punches <laughs> the scorpion's jaw off. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was definitely a caught-you-off-guard kind of moment. That was wild. It really just, like, shows that, you know, Peter, for the most part, you know, just holds back, whereas he's able to do things like that, just kind of take so much jaw off. It, it should definitely make Doc Ock a little more humble, knowing that he could have just killed him in one punch instead right. of years of punches. <laughs> right. It was like a prolonged head damage, but it could have been like a like immediate one. Yeah, the switch could have been flipped off in one second. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah. So Doc Ock in the, the scene where they fight in the the Avengers Tower, he shoots the little exploding webbing at the civilians to like get Peter to protect them. Already people are like, what is Spider Man doing? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> And then he then he tries to kill he breaks he crosses the line well he tries to cross the line and he pushes Doc Ock through the window attempting to murder him right for the one time that it's too late I guess yeah yeah like in Doc Ock's body Peter is just like all right we're we're both gonna die because I can't let you just use the I can't yet let you use my powers and like do evil in the world so that's kind of like the line where he's willing to cross that. Yeah, part of the power of Spider-Man is the mantle, and if you, like, destroy the mantle, like, a lot of what happens in the community loses the morale, right? Yeah. yeah. Peter uses the Octobot to try and throw his consciousness back into his body, but Doc Ock was already two steps ahead of him and has the right. carbonadium to protect his skull and neck. Like, he, he knew what Peter would do before he even took over his body, which is, it just, again, shows to his cunning and genius. Yeah, it's just, like, such a formidable villain where he just has, like, plans within plans. Because yeah. this is, like, coming at after his plan to basically like destroy the world or, or conquer it, and that fails. So, like, his next plan is, like, all right, I'm just going to add a spite, take over your body, and, I'll, and now I'll live and, and be the new Spider-Man. And, and, yeah, and he has even plans in case Peter tries to take his body back. He has plans to, to stop that. How do you feel about Uncle Ben awakening Peter inside of Doc Ock? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it makes sense that it would be him because he's so important to Peter's morality and his sense of ethics and just him as a person. So, yeah, it just makes sense that he would be one of the, the last memories or, or, or people he would see. Yeah, I like that they like they, they do an homage because I think the third page of Spider-Man's first appearance, it's Uncle Ben waking Peter up. Yeah. Yeah, and like in this issue, it says, I know you're awake, it's time for school, and he's like awakening Peter inside of Doc Ock and then he like chucks the car away and doesn't actually murder him. Yep. And even say like Uncle Ben you're worse than a, a room full of alarm clocks which goes back to the the first appearance of Spider-Man. Mhm. Yeah. It, it's actually pretty cool cuz both of them are seeing the same memories at the same time. Peter in, in Octopus's body is kind of seeing Uncle Ben talking to him at the same time that Ock in Peter in in Peter's body is seeing this and that kind of convinces him to put the car down and not just outright kill his enemy and then he just yeah all these like flashes of different memories start to actually hit him and it's not just like memories he can analyze it's like now it's like memories that are actually affecting him and the way he thinks about things because he's seeing himself as peter it's not peter anymore it's like Otto octavius as spider-man in the memory so it's not even like he's seeing peter's memory being affected them yeah he is remembering them as himself which is 
I thought was a really cool angle. And it, yeah, and it's, I think it's pretty ingenious. It's pretty like poetic that that's the that's the thing he didn't predict, right? He can predict all these contingencies, and so that he'll hold on to Peter's body. But he, yeah, he can't predict that feelings. He, yeah, he can't predict feelings <laughs> yeah. that all these memories are actually going to change the way, like change his personality and change the way he views the world. Yeah. And then Peter you know, drops the line that was not in the original issue. Well, spoke it was, but it wasn't spoken. Right. Part of me wanted to have Doc Ock be like, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> like a little bit of like sarcasm or something. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed this issue. I kind of remembered like the, the cultural reaction at the time was that it was it was pretty volatile. Like people either liked it or absolutely despised it. Right. I was on like the bus of liking it a lot. I thought it was a really fun way to do something. I guess, like, Spider-Man purists were just, like, upset about it. It was sudden. It didn't feel like this giant parade of a story, which at that time there was, like, every arc in comics was, like, this giant year-and-a-half-long parade of just new stories and new world-changing events, and this was just, like, subtle and poetic. And, I don't know, I I liked it for that reason itself, and Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really interesting angle to end a hero without ending the hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ending it's ending the hero and creating some kind of controversial death in a way that actually creates like a pretty cool story out of it yeah. instead of just doing it as like a cash grab. Yeah, I mean, so if I was I, I really like this a lot too, but that's kind of after the fact of knowing that it like I read this pretty recently, the the story. And so like I, I know that, you know, eventually Peter comes back and all that, so I could kind of like I was a little a ways from it if i was like a spider-man fan at the time in like reading it every reading the comic every month and then i get to this issue and then a new book launches and it's peter parker's just not around anymore i think you know i could see definitely being upset too and i think that's part of the power of the story is that it kind of creates that emotional reaction it actually makes people feel things it's not just like a throwaway story like it actually has like some kind of impact on a person so yeah that's a good way to phrase it is that I felt a, a strong response to this emotionally rather than just the idea of the death is what usually sells the books. But this, I thought, was a really good story about a death. Mm-hmm. And that's what I appreciated about it. Yeah, definitely. Superman, how can you be alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches. And... It's complicated. Otto Octavius remains the superior Spider-Man for about a year and three months altogether, in real-world time. Let's take a look at what he accomplished. Whether actually superior or not, Otto puts a different spin on the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man brand. Less friendly, for sure. First of all, rather than go on patrol for crimes to stop, Octavius outsources that task to an army of Spider-Drones he's designed to monitor the city. Secondly, the Octopus Doctor doesn't pull any radioactively enhanced punches, nearly killing or beating to death opponents when given the opportunity. When a brain-damaged mass murderer named Massacre escapes from an asylum, Otto decides to deal with the villain differently than Spider-Man has in the past. Peter had previously saved a man's life from a SWAT team's gunfire, believing that no one should die on his watch, no matter what. The superior Spider-Man decides to end the killer's life with prejudice, and shoots Massacre in cold blood, so that the killer can no longer harm anyone. Spider-Man or not, old habits die hard, and Dr. Octopus organizes a platoon of mercenaries to serve as his spider henchmen. He mobilizes his forces together in an abandoned island prison. Superior's methods appear to be as or more effective than Amazing's, at least at first, as he successfully liberates Hell's Kitchen from the kingpin of crime and ninja conglomerate the hand. Some victories are less public and more personal. When medical doctor and vigilante Cardiac steals brain scanning technology originally developed by Otto Octavius, Super Spidey at first treats the man like other criminals he's fought, before discovering the reason for the theft. Cardiac runs an underground medical clinic that takes care of patients that cannot afford to go elsewhere. The clinic is mostly funded by stolen technology. Cardiac needs the brain scanning device to save a young girl who suffers from degenerative brain damage as a result of one of Dr. Octopus's world-threatening schemes. Once Otto finds out, he enthusiastically uses the technology to operate on the girl himself, saving her life. He vows to keep Cardiac's clinic a secret. Dr. Octopus approaches Peter Parker's personal life differently as well. After finding out that Parker never completely earned his doctorate, Otto takes immediate steps to rectify this by returning to complete his postdoc at ESU. There, he encounters tutor Anna Maria Marconi. As the Superior Spider-Man series progresses, the two embark on a romantic relationship. After successfully winning his doctorate, Otto as Peter starts his own company, Parker Industries. He didn't leave his other job on great terms. 
One of his business's first accomplishments is to provide Aunt May with a new cybernetic leg. Things are looking good. Kind of. Until they're looking bad. You see, Spider-Man's longtime enemy Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, is back in town, and he's hacked Doc Ock's Spider-Bot so that they can't detect anyone wearing a goblin mask. So while Otto believes that he's conquered all the major criminal elements in the city, the Green Goblin secretly builds an army of goblin-masked soldiers underground. During all of this, the real disembodied consciousness of Peter Parker has resurfaced, hidden from Octavius's mind. Peter desperately clings to his sanity, as well as any hope of regaining control of his body. It all comes to a head as Green Goblin unleashes his army on the city. In ensuing havoc, Osborn pays special attention to undoing the good Superior Spider-Man has accomplished by destroying places close to him and holding people hostage that he saved, including Anna Maria Marconi. Oh yeah, uh, also there's another Spider-Man from the year 2099 hanging out in New York right now. And... Both Spider-Mans are currently fighting a platoon of spider-slaying robots hacked into and controlled by Osborn. I, uh, I think that's everything. So, before I think of anything else, let, let's just get into... Superior Spider-Man, number 30. Plot, Dan Slott. Script, Christos Gage. Pencils, Giuseppe Camincoli. Inks, John Dell and Terry Pillow. Color, Antonio Fabella. Letterer. Chris Eliopoulos. Norman Osborn remotely taunts Spider-Man, telling him that in order to save Anna Maria, he'll have to leave 2099 Spider-Man to fight the Spider-Slayer robots by himself. 2099 Spidey sees through the ploy right away. Surely Spider-Man wouldn't fall for such a trick. With double the Spider-Power, the two of them will be able to defeat the robots in no time, and then they can team up to save Anna and take down Green Goblin together. Right, Spider-Man? Right? Um, Spider-Man? Yeah, Otto doesn't so much as look back to apologize as he web-slings out of Dodge, looking for Anna. On the way, he surveys the chaos and destruction of the city, and ruminates on his failures as a supposedly superior Spider-Man. But none of that matters compared to his main goal, to save the life of the woman he loves. Meanwhile, in the mindscape of Peter Parker's and Dr. Octopus's memories, Peter's trapped persona is beginning to merge with that of Dr. Octopus's. But he resists with all of his might. Every triumph, every tragedy, Peter says. Family. Friends. The adventure of it all. And the fun. My god, there was so much fun. And it's mine. The good and the bad. I built that. And I'm not surrendering one second of it. I'm taking it back. All of it. Against all odds, Peter's consciousness resurfaces next to Doc Ock's, though Otto still remains in control. Peter isn't advertising his return, instead laying low in the mindscape, waiting for the best moment to strike. Spider-Man follows one of Green Goblin's henchpeople down into the subway, where an Anna Maria-shaped person is tied between two tracks, directly in the path of a speeding train. As Otto gets closer, he sees that it's not Anna, but instead Amy Chen, the girl with brain damage Octavius helped injure as Dr. Octopus, and helped save as Spider-Man. Realizing that if he can't clear the train in time with Amy, that if the train hits him, it'll leave no one left to save Anna, Otto does something shocking for Spider-Man. He hesitates. But Peter's disembodied consciousness yells, Jump! to shock the doctor into action, and Spider-Man jumps, grabbing Amy just in time. He holds the child in his hands, shaken from the near-moral failure, as Peter chews him out. You screwed up, Otto. When there's time, you weigh options. When there's not, you act. And you always do the right thing. Even if it means giving up the advantage, like I just did. You know I'm here now, and I know what that means. Round two. Well, bring it. I'm ready this time. Otto's answer is simple. Yes. You are. And after getting Amy to safety, Dr. Octopus continues, laying out the whole dang thesis statement of the series. I didn't really comprehend what I was in for. I was arrogant. No. It's more than that. We've both been in each other's heads. We know the truth. I'm arrogant, yes. But it's because I know, underneath it, that I'm not the best. I'm flawed, so I overcompensate. But you, you're guilt-ridden because, deep down, you know you are smarter than others. Better. But it came at a painful price, so you sabotage yourself. That won't happen today. You said it yourself. When lives are at stake, you don't hesitate. Today, you will own up to it. Today, you must accept that you are superior the superior hero. That is what we all need. That 
and nothing less. Otto Octavius web-slings the Parker Industries and hooks himself up to his neural scanning helmet to enter the mindscape. Peter watches as Dr. Octopus erases every shred of Otto Octavius's memory and being inside of Spider-Man. You must have no distractions, Otto says. Octavius's childhood, his time as a villain, his time as a hero, and finally, his memories with Anna Maria all fade away. You, you really love her, Peter says. Yes, Otto agrees. And to save her, I must give up every part of that love. For I know only you can save her, because you are the superior Spider-Man. The disembodied consciousness of Dr. Octopus, Otto Octavius, disappears, leaving Peter in control of his own body for the first time in months. His first action is to wipe away a tear, shed by the ghost of a person now gone. His next move is to change into the classic Spider-Man duds. Finally feeling like himself, Peter has two words. My turn. To be concluded. But, if you don't mind a spoiler, next issue he does save Anna. And the city. And even the future guy left fighting the robots. Because he's Spider-Man. Hello. I think I'm remembering that pizza you just ate. It's really good. Hey man, those, those are my memories. Don't remember that. Okay. I'll remember as soon as I'm done. Son of a bitch. I can't even enjoy a pizza. Yeah. So issue 30, The Superior Spider-Man, I guess, picks up where issue 1 started and just flips it. Doc Ock dies and Peter comes back. Right. Yeah, and there were some weird parts in... in, in so, so, so yeah, so this storyline goes on for 30-some issues, right? Which is kind of wild when you think about it. Like, I don't know if they ever did this for this long in this type of story. Like, just kind of knowing what I know about comics, like, this is something, if someone just kind of told me about it, I would expect this to be, like, maybe, like... Six to ten. Yeah, six to ten issue arc, and then Peter gets his body back. But no, they really ran with this for 30, like, some issues, and then and then finally Peter gets his body back. All right, so who do you, who do you think's a better Spider-Man, Dr. Octopus or Peter Parker? I think Doc Ock is a better Spider-Man. Okay. And I think Peter Parker is a better Peter Parker. Oh, yeah. But I mean that in the sense that if Peter Parker could take Doc Ock's Spider-Man gill kit and still be Peter Parker in it, that would be the, the ultimate per- version of it. Which I think kind of happens in the end, because in this issue, Doc Ock brings P- Peter back because he doesn't have the skills that he needs to save the, both people, because he's just not the truest hero. Yeah. He's an efficient Spider-Man, but he's not the best hero. He improvised a lot. He made the the octopus tentacles into spider limbs, and he introduced tech into the suit that Peter never did, which makes him a better Spider-Man. But I think what Peter brings to Spider-Man makes it unique from a lot of other heroes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. So he has some some good successes as Spider-Man, I felt like, in the beginning. In the comics, asks some more complicated questions than superhero comics ask all the time. Like, one of the first villains um, Spider-Man fights is this, like, dude who basically just has, like, brain damage and so can't, has no empathy for anyone. And so he's just, like, a mass murderer. And at one point, Spider-Man had saved him, you know, as Peter Parker. And so Dr. Octopus just kills him, right? Yeah. And me reading that, I'm like, can't really fault him. It's like, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have saved that dude that's just going to like go off and kill a bunch of innocent people. And yeah, it kind of asks you like, so I guess it really comes down to like, what is Spider-Man supposed to do, yeah. right? Like what, it, what, is, what is Spider-Man supposed to do? He's supposed to have, he has great power, so he's, ha- he's supposed to have great responsibility. But what is that responsibility? Like to do what? To make money off of wrestling, I guess, is like the, the baseline. Right. <laughs> I mean, the ceiling is to never kill anybody ever, no matter exactly. what. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, and Peter Parker, that's how he interprets it, right? And he, he says, yeah, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not gonna let anyone die ever. Yeah. That's his interpretation of it, right? Pretty, pretty much the classic superhero model of like, you know, Batman does that too. He'll go into a burning building and save the Joker, even though the Joker will, like, is a mass murderer, right? And so... Yeah, that's kind of like the classic superhero model, which Dr. Octopus does not ascribe to at all. And he's just saying, I got to do whatever will create the most good. And even if that means doing some morally questionable things, I'm going to do those things because it's going to protect the city, right? Oh, yeah. So it kind of asks you those questions about like, what do you want Spider-Man to do? I, I, guess, I guess another question is like, is Spider-Man a cop, right? Is he supposed to be a cop? Like a, like a, a policing force that right. like, has laws that he has to follow? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, that's Seamus' angle, right? Is that he, he's, a, he's a vigilante that has a code of morality that is inconsistent with the fact that he's a vigilante. Yeah. You're, you're breaking the law by being your own police force, but then you're also being this crazy, kind of weird, good boy cowboy that lets villains live instead of, like, stopping them with the finality of, you can't hurt anyone ever again because I just punched your jaw off, Scorpion. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of like that whole like going on patrol and, and stuff like that. It's very much like a kind of policing kind of attitude, right? In some ways, Dr. Octopus is more leans into that harder where he actually creates like drones that create this like spider surveillance state mm-hmm. around the city. But that's just kind of an extension of what Peter Parker does anyway, right? He's just always going around the city kind of looking for any trouble. He's going on those kind of patrols anyway, but just Dr. Octopus automates that. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but... It's kind of an interesting question. Yeah, definitely is. I think that when that that, that kind of it says like if you take the Peter Parker out of Spider Man, Spider Man becomes what Doc Ock has made. I think he takes the great power and uses it with a little less responsibility. Right. So it's even in greater power because like in the the first issue, Doc Ock realizes that Peter was throttling his power this whole time. Yeah. So he's like, let's take the restrictors off. I just go full blast with Spider-Man. Yeah. I'll make a thousand Spider-Man, shoot him all over the city. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think they both have valid points. And it's almost like a yin and yang kind of thing where they're both parts of like what should be like one whole. The way that I think Peter Parker is, is, is embodies the better Spider-Man is that he's almost, he doesn't want to necessarily be a cop. He's not out there to police people and like, you know, restrict what people does. He's out there to save people. Yeah. So even if that means a villain, right, like a cop would arrest a villain and, and they would, you know, if, if they would even they would shoot the villain. Right. If, mm-hmm. if they were doing anything threatening, Spider-Man is like, no, I'm out to save everybody, even if it, even if it's someone who's like threatening people or threatening myself. Right. Oh, yeah. Whereas Dr. Octopus is kind of he, he's he's saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I want to I want to do what's best for everybody. So even if it means just like killing somebody, even if there's a chance to redeem that person, I'm not going to roll the dice on that. And, and I want that person not to be able to do any harm at all. Yeah, it definitely yeah, it definitely says that there's like a, a, a scale and they both tip a little bit opposite of each other from, yeah. from the middle, which is it's fun. It's, it's cool. It, it gives the contrast. And I'm glad that they let it breathe for 30 issues to really appreciate what a superhero could do and become like, like an antihero. He's almost an antihero in this. I think the reader understands it more than the... The, the world does, mm-hmm. but yeah. It almost comes down to their flaws. And actually, Dr. Octopus like, realizes what both of their weaknesses and strengths are at a certain point. And it comes down to their, not necessarily their methods, but like their actual personalities, right? So, so the issue does a good job of comparing the two and showing that they do have some similarities. So they're both geniuses, right? And they were both like even geniuses as, as from their childhood. Otto Octavius, as a kid, was like a genius. And he was picked on, right? And he and he wanted to kind of, you know, he wanted to show people that he was better than them. And if you read like Amazing Fantasy, like that's kind of, that was kind of Peter Parker's attitude at first too, right? Yeah. He was picked on, and he wanted to show people that like he's actually smarter than them. Like he'll he'll get better. And then and then their their paths kind of diverge a little bit. And I th- when Doctor Octopus in Spider Man's body kind of hesitates, and he hesitates saving this like child who's about to get hit by a train because. He realizes that if he risks his life, he won't be able to save his his love's life, right, later on. But Peter Parker says, no, you have to go save this girl. And then, like, kind of, like, pushes, pushes like, the body, you know, to do so. That's when that's when he kind of realizes what their differences are and what their their relative flaws in, in their personalities, right? And he realizes that, you know... He says that, that Peter's the superior, the superior hero. Right. And that's what he's missing. He can he can be a better Spider-Man, but what makes Spider-Man so so much more than just being the Spider-Man is that he's the hero of Spider-Man. Right. And like he'll do the unnecessarily complicated things to be the hero instead of just being the the guy that wins. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just he he realize he suddenly realizes that deep down Dr. Octopus doesn't think he's better than other people. So he tries to overcompensate. Yeah. And to, to make it so that so that he is so that he is better, right? He knows deep he thinks deep down that he's flawed, right? And so that's why he always overcompensates and does every acts the way he does is because he's trying to be he's trying to be better. He's trying to like lift himself up in that way. Whereas Peter Parker deep down knows he's better, but he understands 
what that does when he when he's actually when he actually uses his powers to for his own benefit he understands what happens what the consequences of those are so he always holds back and those are both of their flaws but but at the end of the day dr octopus realizes which one like you're saying makes makes the better hero yeah and so he realizes that he has to if he wants to actually save you know the love of his life he he's not up to the task himself and he has to give peter back the body of spider-man and it's interesting that Peter's personality is the mirror that like makes him realize that he's just been lying to himself in a lot of ways and like Mm -hmm. compensating and everything you just said was the fact that Peter's memories were there to bounce his opinion off of and be like you're not doing what you really are you're not you're not what you really think you are and you're not as good as what you think you are like you're you're overcompensating like he says in the panel himself right right yeah so in those situations where Peter doesn't need to use his full abilities, right? He's going to always, he's going to always hold back and he's always going to maybe, you know, from, from a certain perspective, let some things happen that maybe could have been avoided. So yeah, he's going to hold back on actually allowing one of his villains to die because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be responsible for that death. And so he's going to hold back in those situations. But when in the situations where he he does have to use the full extent of his abilities, that's when he doesn't need to hold back at all, and that's where he can actually do the most good. Whereas Doctor Octopus is always, always has that inferiority complex. Yeah. So in those situations where everything's against him, Doctor Octopus realizes that he's not going to be able to do what Peter can because suddenly Peter, those are the moments where he's going to do everything he can and perform at like the peak at his peak ability. This yeah. flow state happens when he needs to be a hero. Yeah, exactly. I do like the panel when he's like removing his consciousness from the body and you see like, the memories of their battles like he's almost fondly remembering him fighting peter that he appreciates him more now mm-hmm. it was it was an interesting it wasn't just all these good memories it's the memories of them together plus the bad memories plus the, the new memories it was mm-hmm. it was a cool panel yeah. and he actually purges all of his he purges all of his memories so that peter's the only thing left in in spider-man's body yeah so he does he he, he basically sacrifices himself to save the love of his life which is the first truly heroic thing he does is his dying act exactly because like even though he kind of he he does understand that great power with great responsibility lesson overall for the most part he's basically just trying to be a better spider-man he's just doing it to prove that he's he's a better spider-man but in this moment he he actually he yeah it's a moment of like true heroism he gives something up to save somebody instead of trying to save people is just like a, a show of force. Yeah, and then there's that kind of like tear that starts from Dr. Octopus, that, but then kind of continues as Peter takes back over his body. I feel like there was like a really good emotional flow in this. This from If you just read the first issue of issue 700 and then this one, it's a really cool yin yang like it's like a roller coaster goes up and down and up and down and it's like a mirror and i i really like that they kind of like took this really wild concept of putting doc ock into spider-man and then like flipping it back around intentionally like he does it both ways yeah i feel like they had to have drafted it out kind of from the beginning and then kind of wrote all the filler stuff in between because yeah it's like kind of it is it is like really good symmetry between the issues even the first issue of amazing fantasy like there's like visual symmetry that they 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 steal panels and setups and line from it that really bring it all together in a fun way yeah i i i considered this this issue to be so it's not the it's like it's the penultimate issue to the to the whole superior spider-man story there's one more where then peter parker actually defeats back in his body he defeats green goblin does everything that spider-man's supposed to do right but in this issue i I consider that to be kind of like the denouement right but this issue where he actually gets his body back that seems like the climax of the story where we everything everything that's been happening throughout Superior Spider-Man kind of just comes to a head, where you really kind of it all kind of comes together and thematically kind of ends, and then and then you know Peter just picks up the pieces. Yeah, and it's a death for a death. Peter dies, and then Doc Ock dies. You're not just like getting a throwaway death, and then all of a sudden they're back and explained away. So it, like, yeah. almost like it never happened. There, there's a consequence in the beginning, and then this consequence at the end, and the story follows through with that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, until Doctor Octopus comes back again later, but that's a different. That's a different I don't. That's a different. No, episode. whose memory you're activating through? But I don't recall this memory and okay. this memory space that I'm floating through. Oh man, there's a lot of memories. It's kind of weird jumping in from memory to memory. Do you remember at the beginning of the episode? That was a good memory. Yeah, that one was one that was deleted mm. in kind of our 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 arm wrestling match over over different memories. You know how we put all those memories in between us on the table, and then we kind of arm wrestled, and yeah, yeah. those were th- those are the ones I lost to you. Okay. Yeah. 
on the superior memory. well no i got those cool memories about your your trip oh, yeah. to uh california that one time i know oh. your memories oh shit really yeah oh man what did i get i don't know but i got that pizza memory and i'm gonna live on I that i really kind of want that pizza memory back all right big thanks to jimmy for recording with me on this one it was a blast Again, you can find him on Twitch, Broken Hero Parts. And listener, thank you for bringing your earholes to the Not a Hoax, Not a Dream table. You're appreciated here. You really are. If you like this and you want to help guarantee future episodes, do all the helpful things like subscribe and rate five stars on Apple or follow on Spotify. The show has an Instagram and a Twitter. Search for DR Comic Bookie on those platforms, and you can also reach us at drcomicbookie at gmail.com for your non-solicitory questions and comments. If you think you have a unique perspective and would like to guest on an episode, that would be a great place to ask. What are you doing? I'm trying to flex you out of the body, man. I I don't know that it works that way, but it's really disconcerting. I'm getting lightheaded. Um... Uh, all right, and I think um, looking in the mirror here, looking at my yeah, I think I um, I'm in control of my body in my body again. So it looks like we're good. How how, how are you feeling over there, Jimmy? Uh, okay, we still have some things to work out, I guess, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. You know.